Good morning, boys and girls. Today, we'll be learning all about... Doll Crayon. You are in the crayon box. I am your loyal dullard and host, Gabriel Zuger, and I'm joined tonight by, well, nobody in studio. In fact, uh, this will be a first ever unsupported episode recorded live from the Freddie D Studios. That's right, flying without a net tonight, folks, but just wanted to bring you something special for the holiday season. We're giving our co-hosts the night off. Uh, in fact, they've had they've had a few nights off uh, just for just for these holiday times. Everyone's getting in the cheer, getting in the mood, got big plans, and you know everybody deserves a fucking break now and then. So, giving the other co-hosts the night off, and again, I just felt like saying thank you out there to you patrons, making sure you still got your regular daily dose of the dullards. And that I didn't leave you guys hanging. So listen, I'm not going to take up too much of your time rambling on. I'm sure I'll get to some some more uh, some more personal anecdotes at some point. But I thought I'd bring you right into the news. We're just going to do a couple of quick hits. Hey, maybe this is a fucking hour. Maybe it's 20 minutes. I don't know. We'll see. Flying totally unscripted, as always, unscripted, somewhat edited uh, by yours truly. We, we, we are truly a, uh, a grassroots operation here. But again, right, right into the stories. I want to start you off hot off the presses with a story of poop. That's right, poop. So don't tell a uh, wife of the podcast, Pauline, about this one. It is not going to be a favorite of hers. This coming to you from NPR. Headlined, why did Bill Gates give a talk with a jar of human poop by his side? Now, I know what you're saying. At first, you're, you're, you're saying to yourself, Gabriel, this article would seem to have exactly nothing to do with education, but uh, I, I, I think there's a tie-in here, and I hope that you'll follow me the long way around to get to this one. So <clears throat> the article continues. It's not every day that one of the world's richest men walks on stage carrying a jar of human feces, but that's precisely what Bill Gates did in Beijing on Tuesday. The Microsoft founder was in China to talk toilets at the reinvented Toilet Expo, an event showcasing the latest in high-tech sanitation to entrepreneurs, uh, to entrepreneurs, development banks, and government agencies. Improving the technology behind toilets is one of Gates' self-confessed obsessions. So here's where I'm going to pause and do the education, the obligatory education tie-in here, because. You will recall from previous episodes and also from your entire life growing up that Bill and Melinda Gates have dumped a shit ton of money into coming up with innovation for education. Uh, you know, they, they back such things as uh, charter schools. They've put money into uh, some, some amount of money into uh, the public system. Um, they certainly back uh, National Public Radio. Pretty much every fucking show on National Public Radio is brought to you by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So, you know, big, big, big ass proponents of education, big ass proponents of public ass shit. Um, but really what this is coming down to is 
Here's a guy with billions of dollars who can't fix a goddamn thing that he tries to fix, can't fix education, can't fix anything he puts his money into. So he's got a pet project that none of us knew about, and that's shitters. It continues. It's been done this way for centuries. What's been the latest advance in toilets? Double-ply toilet paper? He joked on stage. Through his foundation, the tech mogul has spent the last seven years applying the same innovative approach that made him a billionaire to improving sanitation, and with good reason. Now, again, I'm going to pause there. Um, the uh, innovation, the innovative approach that he that made him a billionaire uh, was breaking antitrust laws, not just in this country, but in other countries, and then just paying the penalties when the bill came due. That's pretty much what it came down to. This is a guy, yes, did he make uh, public, uh, sorry, did he make personal computers the, the necessity in every household? Absolutely, but only in doing so by putting his Microsoft products into every single computer that existed for the first couple of decades. And, you know, just like any billionaire out there, he's done it by stepping on the backs of others and by cheating everybody in every direction that he can. So again, that kind of innovation only works in in making money. It doesn't work in actually creating things, which again is is what he's trying to do here. Create create an interesting solution to uh, a, 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 a an ageless problem, really one that's been uh, plaguing the, the the world for centuries and millennia. Anyway, it continues. According to the World Health Organization, more than 4.5 billion people do not have access to toilets where waste is treated and disposed of safely. When human waste is poorly managed, pathogens can seep into the environment, causing disease like diarrhea, cholera, and typhoid. Quote, This small amount of feces could contain as many as 200 trillion rotavirus cells, 20 billion Shigella bacteria, and 100,000 parasitic worm eggs, said Gates, brandishing the jar of excrement. Gates' poop presentation has its roots in a visit to a slum in Durban, South Africa, with his wife, Melinda, a decade ago. Again, quoting from Gates, We visited communities where children were playing in lanes with fil uh, lanes filled with human waste, where the stench of community toilets was so bad that people didn't want to use them, and where families drank water contaminated with human waste. Now, all of this is very interesting and obviously very important since uh, these, these are unsafe situations. But I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here and jump to the punchline, which is that there's no innovation that these people are coming up with, okay? I mean, uh, the, the many of the toilets, they just find ways. The, the idea is where you can't have plumbing, let's just have a toilet that keeps everything in it, kind of like a fucking porta potty So that's already been invented, dumbass. Um, but then we're going to skip down to where we get to the actual point of all of this, and that's this. According to Gates, the reinvented toilet market could generate $6 billion a year worldwide by 2030. Okay, so again, from the World Health Organization, we have an actual crisis on our hands with people not having access to plumbing and, and, and the removal of parasitic feces, but 
we should be capitalizing on this with $6 billion a year by coming up with a fancy toilet that hides the poop in its fucking tank. I mean, really, Bill, you're you're not presenting yourself very well. And NPR is being pretty transparent about the fact that Bill basically paid for this article to be written because he gives them so much fucking money that they have a surplus that they give to themselves every year that's hidden in their 5013C of a company. So again, all of that is to say Bill has not had a fucking job in forever, doesn't know what to do with his money. Again, this is one of these people, this is one of these billionaires out there that we're all supposed to look at as being Oh, isn't it such a wonderful world that Bill's going to give up all his money when he dies? He's spending about, tw- uh, I think I think he's spent over $200 million already just on giving grants to people who want to come up with new fucking toilets. So really, when we, when we think about the billionaires out there, when we think about how generous they are with their money, when we think about these pledges to give all their money away when they die— mostly to foundations that will be written in their own name and that, you know, will really just do things like this in perpetuity. Just remember that Bill Gates once stood in front of a room of roughly five to 900 people in Beijing with a jar of foul fecal matter next to him. That's, that's who we're talking about when we talk about the generosity of billionaires we switch now to what i what i hope will be a slightly more light-hearted story this coming from market watch girl scouts sue boy scouts for trademark infringement now this this story immediately drew my eye because Who's not going to want to hear about the Girl Scouts trampling all over the Boy Scouts? And and I think that you'll find with me that this is sorely, sorely due. I read now from the article. The Girl Scouts are suing the Boy Scouts, saying the organization's inclusive rebranding effort has caused all sorts of consumer confusion from mistaken enrollment in the Boy Scouts to misinformation about a merge of the two groups. Now, I bet you didn't even know this was happening, but it, it in fact is. Tuesday's trademark infringement lawsuit is an attempt to clear up the uncertainty, said the Girl Scouts of the United States of America. The Manhattan Federal case noted the two separate youth organizations have long coexisted. Now, I'm going to rephrase that. They have not coexisted. They have existed in parallel. They are like two children playing next to each other. There is no actual cooperative arrangement between the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts, which is in large part what this lawsuit is going to be about. But problems arose when, quote, core gender distinction, end quote, was altered by the Boy Scouts of America, which announced in October 2017 it would open its doors to girls beginning in 2019. I mean, before we go any further, are, are, are you fucking kidding, Boy Scouts? Like, forget core gender distinction, like, forget transgender, forget, forget gender fluidity in 2018 in the 21st century. You just swerved into somebody else's lane without looking at your blind spot. I mean, this is definitely an issue that needs correcting. I continue. Earlier this year, the Boy Scouts unveiled new marketing campaign to back the effort. Scout me in, the tagline proclaimed. But 
definitely scout the Girl Scouts out of the rebranding. The Girl Scouts lawsuit said the Boy Scouts of America had no right under the New York state and federal law to use the words like scout or scouting by themselves in connection with services offered to girls or to rebrand itself as the Scouts. I mean, fair fucking point. You can't be the Scouts if then they're going to be the Girl Scouts. That's like the NBA and the WNBA. It's not the Men's National Basketball Association and the Women's National Basketball Association. We understand that unfairly, it's always been branded as the NBA and the WNBA, but that's because the NBA came first and the WNBA came second. Here, we're talking about two organizations that date back to, you know, fucking Abraham Lincoln, practically. That all sent the false message that the Boy Scouts of America were now the exclusive organization providing leadership development services to girls, the lawsuit contends. Quote, We applaud every organization that builds character and leadership in children, including the Girl Scouts of America, and believe that there is an opportunity for both organizations to serve girls and boys in our community, a spokeswoman for Boy Scouts of America told Market Watch. Now, bravo. Golf claps to you. Golf claps to you, Boy Scouts of America, for using your spokeswoman to get out there and attack the Girl Scouts for defending themselves. Bravo. Really nicely done. You guys have about as much sensitivity as the fucking GOP uh, Senate committee, you know, getting their female prosecutor to interrogate uh, Christine Blasey Ford. Nice job. Really well done. Okay. In court papers, the Girl Scouts of America said the Boy Scouts rebranding announcement has created all kinds of brand confusion across the country. For example, some Minnesota families looking to sign up their girls were erroneously told the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts have merged. So lied. Somebody lied to families in Minnesota. That's not erroneous. That's not, uh, we made a mistake. No, you fucking lied to them because you wanted to get the girl signed into the Boy Scouts. You're, you're just, you're just, uh, you're just stealing, right? You're, you're just totally, you know, scabbing from the other side. Cool. Meanwhile, in Indiana and South Dakota, some parents mistakenly signed up their daughter to girls' programs in the Boy Scouts. In the Boy Scouts, right? So again, you presented them with false material, false advertising, and now they want their money back. Good job. The Girl Scouts, an organization incorporated in 1915, argued that if the Boy Scouts wanted to broaden their base, they couldn't do it at their expense. Right? Go, go find something else girls are covered, but go find something else. Go find the, you know, 25th gender. I don't know. Get something out there. But listen to yourselves. You're the Boy Scouts. I thought you had figured this out a long time ago. I mean, I know I know you, you have issue with minorities. I know you have issue with gays. I know you have issue with all all things that are different from, you know, the 4-H club type, you know, the the white homogenous, you know, boy boy scouts that, you know, we can all sort of picture being in an episode of King of the Hill. But really, you, you, you sort of labeled yourselves when you called yourselves the Boy Scouts of America. I'm sorry that you made that bet and now you're uncomfortable with who's in it with you, but that's that's really what you did. And, and now it's done. You can't rewrite that. Final line, the lawsuit claims 
the lawsuit's claims include trademark infringement and alleged interference with economic prospects. I mean, really, just can we be any more clear about this? Now, let me let me put this out there. This is the Dolcran's, uh, you know, uh, corporate um, tagline as far as scouts go. Uh, we don't care. We really don't care. We don't actually believe that the scouts promote leadership. We don't actually believe that they uh, build character. We, uh, having dealt with the scouts for many years, both boy and girl scouts, understand that really uh, all this is is just fundraising for the scout organizations themselves. They do negligible work uh, charitably and... um, Really, they're they're sort of a drain on uh, everybody's thoughts and everybody's efforts. So you know, uh, while while I would love to see these two battle it out in court like fucking um, Salino and Barnes and just disintegrate each other, I I doubt that that's gonna happen. So just watch your fucking toes, Boy Scouts. Really, check your blind spot, check your mirrors before you keep before you uh, go swerving on the highway again. You know. No, no four-lane switches here, all right? This ain't money ain't a thing. All right, so we've done a couple of stories now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the briefest of breaks to uh, drink from my Infinity bottle over here. That's right, a non-branded concoction of my own uh, whiskey prowessness. And I'm going to come back to you with a couple more hot shots. And... Uh, and, and then that's going to do it for us tonight, folks. So more on the other side with Gabriel Zuger and the Dull Crayons. Tell them what's up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the beats that you just sing to for no reason. <laughs> Sometimes you got to get to know yourself. You got to trap a little bit. Look at yourself from another perspective. So I try to do that. Uh, come on. Like knowing yourself, like the way I know the smoking's kind of broken my health. Like the way I know my flow don't make appropriate wealth. I can't change that, but funny I'm saying that when it's money I'm aimed at. I'll give a fuck if you frame that or quote it. I meant what I said because I wrote it, point noted. I know I'm overly sensitive when it comes to well, just about everything. And I'm so hard headed, I don't need your help. Like no advice for these records, less it's me myself. Like I don't ever want to breathe. And we are back. Motherfuckers, welcome back into the dull box. You are here with Gabriel Zuger, and I'm going to bring you, I'm going to be honest with you, I've looked ahead at some of the stories that we're doing tonight, took a little preview. I mean, I know I put these stories together myself, and really the fact of the matter is I'm bringing you this episode solo because I just have too many stories to share. I mean, all, all, all praise be to he the comedy god Harris Whittles, R.I.P. brother, R.I.P., um, who used to go on to Comedy Bang Bang with Scott Aukerman um, and do something that Harris called the phone corner. And this was when he would literally just go into his phone, go into his notes app, and just come out with things that he'd written down to himself. Just things that he thought were interesting. Ideas, thoughts, random, you know, ideations, whatever. And he called it the phone corner. Um, so this is, uh, you know, flying co-hostless, 
this is basically Gabriel Zuger's phone corner. This is when we just go through the notes, find the articles that, you know, I want to talk about, and we're just going to see what happens. But again, I've looked ahead, and we've got about one more fun one, and then just a couple where you know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, I'm going to take my shots at homeschooling. I'm going to take my shots at student loan debt. And if you want to, if you want to keep flying with me, keep flying with me. And if this isn't your episode, honestly, I would completely motherfucking understand. And you could just turn me off right now. But I do thank you for inviting me into your commute, for inviting me into your living room, for inviting me into your sex life or whatever it is that you're doing while you're listening. And I hope that you'll stay on because this next one coming from Yahoo.com is a doozy. The headline here is, We don't want all the attention. Mother of six-year-old boy whose party guests were all no-shows speaks out. Syl Mazzini was shocked and upset when she snapped a photo of her son, Teddy, sitting all alone at a pizza party for his sixth birthday and posted it to Facebook. The photo has gone viral, but Mazzini now says she regrets posting the heartbreaking picture. Mazzini told the New York Post, oh, thank you, a a breath of fresh air to even read the words the New York Post, as you know, one of our favorite, favorite publishers here on the show. Mazzini told the New York Post she was in disbelief when about an hour into the party at Peter Piper Pizza in Tuscan, Arizona, not a single one of the 20-something classmates Teddy invited showed up even though 15 had RSVP'd with a yes. Now, now wait, at this point in the story, obviously we should all be in utter disbelief that this has happened, and we're definitely, our, our, our thoughts and prayers go out to Teddy so far. Quote, I was kind of shocked, and then at the end, when I had to pay for it, I was upset, Mazzini told the Post. That's why I wrote a message, but I never expected any of this for this to go so viral. The kindergartner got over the situation pretty quickly, his parents said. For starters, his father, Ted Bollinger, had traveled all the way from his job in an Alaskan oil field to attend the shindig. He's six, so he was distracted by the arcade games, the pizza. He got over it quickly. He's tough, Bollinger told the Post. Still, the dad said he discouraged Mazzini from sharing the photo. Quote, when Syl told me she was posting it, I told her not to do it, but she did it and it took off. It's pretty wild, he said. Mazzini even posted a video on her Facebook of news reporters showing up to the party with cameras. Now, again, I, why news reporters were showing up to this kid's 16-year, six-year-old party, even though six, uh, his pizza party, even though his own fucking classmates didn't show up, we don't even know. But okay. Quote, I just honestly thought this would be local news in Tuscan and maybe Phoenix, but we're getting calls from around the world, Bollinger said. It's nothing like I would have ever guessed, never in my wildest dreams. Mazzini says she wishes she had never shared the picture. Honestly, I would love to go back in time and not have sent that message. We don't want all the attention. We didn't do this for attention or for gifts or anything, she told the Post. I did it in the moment, but I wasn't smart. I was upset. That's it. She said she gave the boy three options to celebrate his birthday, a trip to Disney World, a day at Legoland, or a party with his classmates, and he chose the third. Next year, though, the family is sticking with the trip. 
Anyway, obviously, like with all these stories of shit that goes viral, the whole thing ends with them getting offers to go to places for free next year. Who cares? Yada, yada, yada. What Yahoo manages to miss, what the Mazzinis manage to miss, and really what all those stupid fucking local news outlets in Arizona manage to miss is the really obvious and big question that I know you dullards out there are thinking along with me. Where the fuck were all of his classmates? I mean, it's not even possible. If he sent out, as this article claims, if he sent out 32 invitations to classmates at his school and also friends, I'm sure, outside of school, it's not in the realm of possibility that coincidentally nobody showed up at this party. So we have to be wondering, was this a concerted effort? Was there collusion to not show up to poor fucking Teddy's party? And does it have anything to do with the fact that Sill seems like a complete wackadoodle for posting any of this shit? That, 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 that maybe... There was some sense that this whole party was really unnecessary since, I mean, look, we should be celebrating the fact that this boy's father came back from an Alaskan, you know, gas rig to even be there for his sixth birthday party. I mean, really, like, let's focus on the upside of all of these things. But how? How is it possible? You, you've you've thrown a party before. You've invited, you know, several dozen people. You've had a wedding before. It's simply not possible to invite 30-something people and for none of them to show without there being an actual reason involved. So, again, discredit to Yahoo, discredit to Arizona and the surrounding Tuscan uh, fucking news outlets. You guys missed a biggie because I know there was a better party happening somewhere else. That's clearly the case. And you guys just failed to bring it to our attention. All right. I told you that was going to be the last fun story, but I lied to you. I lied to you because I just found this other one that, that, that I really wanted to share. And this one is going out to MOP, Mother of the Pod, the lady, Ellen herself. And this from Vox. The Heathers TV show was pulled following a mass shooting for the third time this year. I now read from the article. America in 2018 is a bleak and hopeless hellscape of a country, one in which the banal horror of everyday life is marked intermittently by periods of senseless cruelty and violence. No joke. I would like to award Constance Grady the Pulitzer Prize right now for that sentence alone. Forget the fact that the rest of this article is going to talk about the Heathers television show being pulled. That is the most perfect capsule of what it means to be an American and what it means to live in this country right now. But recent events have made it clear that America in 2018 is such a dystopian hellscape that the same TV show can be kept from airing three different times by three different outbreaks of violence. The TV show in question is Heathers, the remake of the 1988 movie, and The Hollywood Reporter has just announced that two episodes have been pulled from cable television's Paramount Network 
following the tragic shooting at a Pittsburgh synagogue on Sunday. This is the third time this year that episodes of Heathers have been pulled following a shooting. The original Heathers was dark satire that featured two teens out, two teen outsiders embarking on a killing spree, murdering the most popular students at their high school, and ultimately plotting to blow up the school. The movie was pitch black, and while it rapidly became a cult classic, it remains just on the edge of going too far in its satire. So the TV adaptation of Heathers was always going to be a tough road ahead. By its nature, making the series means making a show about school violence, and that's much more of a hot-button issue in a post-Columbine, post-9-11 world than it was in 1988. But no one involved in the project seems to have anticipated just how much more difficult it would be to get Heathers on the air. So I'm going to stop right there. I, 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 I applaud these people. I do. I applaud them for, yet again, taking something that was made in its time and trying to transpose that on another time because they have zero intelligence, zero creativity enough to make something relevant to today's youth, to today's market. So they think that the best thing to do is to just rebrand Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the fifth fucking time in a row or make another Batman cartoon or, I don't know, reboot reboot the animated series i mean for fuck's sake um actually that is one that i would see so scratch that i'm gonna put reboot on the top of the list for paramount to remake but anyway point is that obviously this was never going to work it barely worked in its own time and it certainly wouldn't work now this thing should have died in its conception okay this is one of those you know the way the way Donald Trump talks about the the uh, the Toshogi uh, murder. You know this was the 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 cover up. I should say this thing was bad in its inception. This thing was never going to get pulled off. It should have died on the table. There was no way to pull this one out. Okay, the fact that they've even tried three times this year is pitiful. You need to bury these episodes right now and hope they never make it onto the Pirate Bay, okay? That nobody's ever downloading these torrents years from now. And this is going to be your your dark you know, Twitter post that people are digging out years later, Paramount Network. And anybody whose name is on this thing, you have a black stain on you right the fuck now. So really, really, get out of this thing fast. Um, but then... The, the other insane part about this is that BoJack Horseman, one of my current favorite television shows, has a plot line just like this in one of its seasons where a main character has a movie coming out that is about massive violence and the running joke is that they can never put this movie out because every weekend that they plan to release this thing, there is another mass shooting. So this is something that exists out there that we already know is a thing, and yet people are continuing to make shows that feature mass violence and hope that they're going to fit these things in to make movies. This was also the the entire uh, issue around the Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, you know, towards the end of his uh, franchising, Towards the uh, uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Collateral Damage, 
which was that it was, you know, basically about 9-11 happening only before 9-11 happened. And they could never come out with it. They had to wind, they wound up reshooting it so that the villain wasn't as close to what actually happened as it was in its original. Anyway, I'm going off the rails here, but look, you know, we all want to see Heathers again. We do. We do. I, again, I, I dedicate this this particular segment to MOP Ellen. Ellen would love to see a Heathers TV show. She'd love to see a new Heathers movie. You know what the best thing for Ellen to do would be? And for the rest of us who love the original, go watch the original. Go watch Jawbreaker. Jawbreaker was the sequel to Heathers without it being called Heathers, okay? Both fun-ass fucking movies. Get drunk, watch them with friends, have a good time, do not put this out, Paramount. You are taking on some seriously bad mojo over this, and you don't even need the attention. You just don't. Give it up already. All right. So those were our fun stories. I know. Can you believe it? Weren't those so much fun? Doesn't Gabe seem like he's in such a good mood? Like, I know, right? He should be doing this by himself all the time. Unfortunately, those those fucking co-hosts of mine, they they want so much spotlight. They want to be here all the time. So, you know, I've got to give it to them. But I know, secretly, you and I appreciate the solo run. And, and we we know where the love is really at. You know I love you. I know, I know you're here for the dullard. But to bring the mood down a little bit, we're going to talk about the loneliness of the homeschool mom. This is coming to us from homeschoollifemag.com, which I'm sure will be up there with the New York Post as a Dolcran's favorite uh, website following today's reading. So again, this is the loneliness of the homeschool mom. Loneliness isn't something we talk about, but maybe it should be. If you're feeling isolated, depressed, irritable, or just plain sad, Loneliness might be to blame. Now, besides this sounding like a commercial for antidepressants, I just want to go back and note how wrong the statement was that I just read. I read again. If you're feeling isolated, depressed, irritable, or just plain sad, loneliness might be to blame. No, I'm sorry. You have that very, very backwards. As someone who has long time suffered with depression really on and off for most of my life. Uh, Loneliness is not the root cause. Depression is the root cause. Loneliness is a symptom. Sad and irritable and isolated are symptoms. You can't use the word depressed as an adjective anymore. It's a noun. It's its own thing, okay? You either have it or you don't, right? So... Cut that shit out. This whole synonymous, sad, lonely, depressed thing, no, 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 no. One of them is a clinical diagnosis. The others are just feelings. Okay, now that that's done with. Here's how to understand why you feel so alone sometimes and how to make the slow but steady connections that can help end your solitary confinement. Now, again, solitary confinement, that's an actual thing. You can't just use that to describe 
feeling lonely when you choose to homeschool. There are people who are actually in solitary confinement who can't make slow but steady connections to end it. That, no, 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 no. You don't get to co-opt solitary confinement. Okay. Again from the article. The thing people don't tell you about homeschooling is how lonely it can be, says Julianne. People will talk to you all day about finding social networks for our kids, but we never seem to talk about how lonely it can be when you're a homeschooling mom. Julianne pulled her son Bram out of school at the end of second grade to homeschool him. She spent almost a year deciding whether to homeschool and then how to homeschool her 10-year-old son. Along the way, she asked advice of the moms she considered her closest friends. They'd met on the first day of their son's preschool at a school-sponsored coffee morning and became fast friends, helping each other through everything from marriage challenges to mosquito infestations. When Julianne developed shingles while her husband was on a business trip in Germany, her friends rallied to fill her freezer and make sure Bram had activities and playdates to keep him busy. Julianne wasn't surprised when her friends were supportive of her decision to homeschool. But a few months into their first homeschool year, Julianne was finding it harder and harder to connect with her friends. The other boys were participating in an after-school soccer program, which made it hard to get together in the afternoons. Evenings meant homework and weekdays, weekends were for family time. Even when they managed to find a date that worked for everyone, Julianne didn't get the warm feeling of belonging she'd always had when they got together. Listening to the other moms talk about the PTA fundraiser and the new librarian, she felt like an outsider. Okay, so let's stop right there. So I'm sorry. Julianne felt connected when she had an actual connection to people, and now she's feeling not connected when she chose to sever that connection from those people. This is like somebody choosing a new job and then being shocked that they have nothing to talk about with their old work friends when they go out with their old work friends. Um, surprise, you don't work there anymore. You're not going through the same things they are. You had one shared experience. One. It was that school. And now you don't. Sorry, you lose. That's what you chose. Continuing on. Homeschooling may be on the rise, but it's still lonely business for many parents. Thanks to growing numbers, it's much easier to find a like-minded park group or co-op than it would have been just a decade ago. I know plenty of homeschoolers who rarely spend a day at home. They are busy taking outside classes, participating in activities with other kids, and getting together with their friends, just as in more traditional environments. There are kids who have trouble finding their niche, but patience and effort go a long way. Most homeschool kids have a thriving social network. Their parents, however, often struggle to build a meaningful community. I met so many lonely, lovely people in our first few years of homeschooling, but there was no one I could turn to in an emergency. I didn't have a shoulder to cry on or a pal to tell me to buck up and get on with it when I was feeling stuck. I wasn't alone, but I was lonely, and apparently that's exactly how loneliness works. I honestly, I don't even know what the fuck I just read. You weren't alone, but you were lonely, and that's how loneliness works. No, it sounds like you were fucking alone. Um, it sounds like you chose to be alone, again, separating yourself out from the things that make us a community, like shared experiences, like a shared sense of 
the world at large and you're keeping your shit tight inside, you weird libertarian-ass motherfucker. Um, yeah, I, I got nothing for you. I got nothing. And it, it's again, it's not depression and it's not sadness. This is a symptom of uh, being a complete fucking nut job. Um, I'm going to read one more paragraph just because I'm, I'm curious. There, 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 there claims to be a PhD coming up, so we'll, we'll see what they have to say about this. People have a misconception that loneliness means the absence of a social life, but that's rarely the case, says John T. Cassipio. PhD, a University of Chicago researcher who has spent the past two decades exploring the significance of loneliness in modern life. What he discovered is fascinating. Lonely people are just like are just as likely as not lonely people to be surrounded by friends and family, neighbors and coworkers. They are usually just as attractive, popular, and intelligent as people who aren't lonely. Sometimes even more so. What separates them from other people is the fact that those social connections don't go deep enough. Lonely people don't feel fulfilled by their relationships. Whatever their physical condition, their emotional condition is one of alienation. So, again, to to trace all this back to the start of this, if that's true, if what we're saying is these people in homeschool life, MAG, we're always destined to feel lonely because they just are lonely people. They just have loneliness within them, which again is not a diagnosis. But if we're even to take that at face value, then this has nothing to do with homeschooling because these people weren't actually fulfilled when they were at school either. When they took their kids to school and they had those superficial social connections with the people at school. So, again, you're just lonely. I, I have all the sympathy in the world for just lonely. But then let's stop making this about homeschooling because now you just sound like fucking bitchy assholes. Okay. I'm going to skip down to the last paragraph. This fucking thing goes on forever. I have no idea where it's going. But let's let's see what we can end on. Engage on social media. Oh, I think now we're at some practical solutions here. Wait, here we go. Before engage on social media. Practice meditation. Researchers at UCLA found that when lonely people meditated regularly, they significantly reduced loneliness. Study participants used simple mindfulness meditation, focusing on the present moment and using deep breathing techniques. Again, if you're homeschooling and you're not fully mindful... You're a piece of shit. This is just backwards as fuck. Okay. Next. Next useful tip from homeschoollifemag.com. Engage on social media. Stop clicking like and make real connections. While spending lots of passive time on sites like Facebook can increase loneliness, genuine interaction can reduce loneliness. Instead of giving a virtual thumbs up next time you see a photo of your friend's recognized homeschool space, leave a comment about it. Or better yet, give her a call to chat about it. When you make the shift from using Facebook as a social proxy to using it as a social springboard, your time spent there won't leave you feeling lonely. Make the effort. 
Finding your tribe is hard at any stage of life, but it can be especially hard for homeschooling parents. Keep at it. Patty says they tried dozens of groups and activities before landing on the group that was the right fit. Hey, you know what was the right fit, Patty? When your kid went to school and you didn't have to try dozens of things. That was the right fit. It was actually, and I almost hate to use this phrase, a one-size-fits-all solution that really does fit all. And if there's even a problem with it, there are other schools to try, and you don't have to try dozens of them. You could maybe try a handful of them, and you'd probably hit on a winner after two tries. Okay. Stay busy. Your social calendar may not fill all your emotional needs, but it's an important starting point to building a satisfying social network. Again, stay busy is fucking garbage. I I really think they have a whole issue where they're conflating depression and loneliness and homeschooling. And those three things are not synonymous. And you earlier said in this thing that even the most social people can feel lonely which also sounds like sociopathy, but okay. Uh, So stay busy isn't really going to help. Really, take your kid back to school. Um, Think about what you are missing. All loneliness is not created equal, which is one reason it's hard to offer easy solutions. Most people have one of two types of loneliness. They're missing a social circle, a group of like-minded people who engage in conversation. I, I... I I don't I don't even understand. Is this a tip? Is this a tip to not feeling lonely? It sounds like we're focusing on the thing that's making us lonely. Really. Uh home homeschool life mag, especially when 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 my colleagues are here is going to be a very fertile ground, a a a fertile crescent if you will of interesting and useful information about um, really the scariest and most dangerous people, I think, in our union. And, uh, you know, if you know any libertarians or you know any homeschoolers out there, be wary, be mindful. They might have a a storage closet full of guns in their bunker. Um, They might be apocalypse and uh, doomsday dwellers. And um, they are are really a a sad facet of our culture and our society today. So again, just be wary. Be keep keep sort of a, a slanted eye on them at all times, if you please. Um, listen, I, I I I had one more for you tonight, and I I know you're dying for this one more. This uh, this really awful awful look at. Uh, student loans and uh, the idea of student loan forgiveness. Um, I, I, I want to give it to you. I, I, I do. I, I want to give it to you raw. I want to give it to you hard right now. But I, I, I just, I just can't. I don't think I have the energy. I think, I think we're gonna end our time tonight here, folks. And I'm gonna be back with you very, very shortly uh, with some, some new co-hosts some of your old favorites. Uh, But again, I I just want to take this time to thank you patrons out there, to thank you for being with us, to thank you for inviting us into your homes and for coming and spending a little bit of time in in our home and and in in my head. And and really to take take this time, take these holiday times. I know they can be stressful times. You're with family. you're, You're doing a lot of things. But really, 
the holidays, if they're meant for anything, they're, they're meant for you. And they're meant for self-care. And they're meant for treatment. So, so please, please be mindful of that. Please take a break. You owe yourself a break. Diana's getting a break. Tony's getting a break. Julian and Willie on the car phone are getting breaks. Malin's getting a break. MOP and Abba are getting breaks. Give yourself a break. You deserve it. And you deserve more. And we're going to bring you more on the other side of this holiday season. So stick with us. Yours truly, Gabriel Zucker. The Dole Crayons is a free and independent podcast supported by listeners like you. To show us support and keep us free, stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash and write into us at dolecrayons at gmail.com. Along with our hosts for this episode, we'd like to thank Jesse Katz and Gwen Gallitzer for the theme music and Colin Matthews for the logo.